path forward. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back. Five minutes after the hour of 11, it's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 on the FM dial. Talk some college football, uh, Pete Futek college football news coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Just this one little nugget I just came across from Trey Wingo's Twitter feed. Ready for this? Yeah. He called this a fun fact. Adam Venateri's great-great-grandfather was General George Custer's bandmaster. Before the Battle of Little Bighorn in 1876, Custer told him the band would not engage in the battle, where no U.S. soldier survived. Had the band gone to battle? No Adam Vinatieri. Whoa! How about that? That's... that's I mean, Jesus. One of those rabbit holes you can yeah, go down in. Yeah, absolutely, right? Hall of Famer? Yes. Without a doubt. Yes. Couldn't agree with you more. There's not a lot of kickers in there. Morton Anderson, the last one, I think. Is that what it is? George Blanda? George Blanda's in, yep, for sure. Is Sebastian Janikowski? No. He'll get votes just because of the, sure. the, the longevity of his career. But longevity does not equal Hall of Fame. I, I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying that he's... Uh, Were you ever confident in that guy making a big kick? I never was. No. Yeah. That's a good point. He certainly made some. Mm-hmm. Man, an incredible leg, right? Uh, let's get Tommy Birch in here. Tommy joins us. Hello, Speaking Tom- of powerful legs. <laughs> Hello, Birchie. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, man, I, I love a good kicker. Randy Randy Peterson would tell you that. I love covering the special team guys when I was on the Iowa State beat. Uh, you said a great kicker? You didn't see many of those. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I... It, any kicker. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a shaggy guy. He, he's a good dude. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some of the some of the big kicks. Yelk, did he make the kick? Was it good or not against Alabama? It was good. I think it was, um, but the, unfortunately, our vote didn't count. Tommy Burch, just real quick, Tommy, before we get into baseball, I saw you tweet this. Uh, Rob Borsellino lost his life, uh, his battle, 15 years ago today. You know, he was a lightning rod, uh, but people read him, right? And and what the register and what the city would have been had he not been stricken with the disease and it took him far too young. Uh, but I thought he was great for the Des Moines register. And uh, just your, do you remember, you didn't work with him, did you, Tommy? No, I didn't work with him. But, you know, being a Des Moines kid and, and growing up reading the register, he was one of the guys I read. And, yep. You know, the register, man, it would have been, 10, 15 years ago, something like that came out with a collection of some of his best columns. And uh, I still have a copy of that. And it's great to flip through mm-hmm. read some of those old things. So he was great. He was the man. And yep. um, he, he could tell a story as good as anybody. No, he's very talented. I couldn't agree with you more, and, and uh, I miss reading his stuff. So help me out with this, Birchie. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't know. Did Mark Hansen then fill that spot on the uh, to fill his column? Did he take over then, or did he precede Borsellino? Do you remember? That's a good question. I think he was after him, but Mark was still in sports, yeah. you know, uh, during that time for for a period, and then and then Mark came back and did sports. So, um, wow, that's. <laughs> It seems like a long time ago, and it probably was a, a long time ago, but um, 
it's funny that you bring up Mark because you know there's there's one day I remember being in the office and I'm I'm I've got like Randy on one side of me, wow. Rick Brown on the other side, and Mark behind me. Jeez. And I'm like, oh my god, I grew up reading all yeah. these guys. They'd always get pissed off when I told them <laughs> that, but it's, but it's true. Like I was a little kid yeah. eating my cereal. Um, in the living room, flipping through the Des Moines Register and reading their stories. So uh, I think that says more about how old they are than how old I am. <laughs> no, that's good stuff. And uh, having those three, that wisdom, I know that they take a lot of, well, PD does, takes a lot of shots, a lot of arrows. Come, well, if you're in the business, that's what comes with it, I guess. But three big names, no doubt. So, Bertie, let's talk a little baseball, shall we? And there, we thought Byron Buxton was going to make his way, and I saw you tweet that. It's obviously there's never a, 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 a given that it's going to happen, but there was some talk that he was going to rehab, and lo and behold, St. Paul happens to be in town, and connecting the dots, thought that there was a chance that Byron Buxton might be in the uh, opposing dugout this week, at least for you know, game or two. Not going to happen, as Trent will tell you. Imagine this, Trent. Setback, Setback. happened again. Uh, but it didn't happen, Birch. It would have been fun to see him, though. Yeah, it would have been perfect timing, given not only that St. Paul was coming to town, but, man, Buxton is having the best career year of his entire career. This was the player um, that Minnesota Twins fans have been waiting to see for a long, long time, and no surprise they got her. I think any of us that, that followed the Twins can do, like, okay, at some point that's going to happen. Right. And then really no surprise they got a setback during this uh, road to recovery. So I think it's all kind of a, a fitting journey for, for Byron Bucks and pretty much sums up his career where, man, he is tremendously talented but always seems to be hurt too. So you've gone through now about a month of this minor league season when you make your way down to Principal Park, these new teams that are involved, St. Paul, I think maybe the the most prominent of them. Twins fans get a chance to see them. I've already taken a peek at the schedule, seeing when they're coming back again and uh, getting down to Principal Park for that one. As you look at it, it's just a month here, but kind of the new way of AAA baseball. Do you think this is a good thing overall for the Iowa Cubs? Uh to me, it's really fascinating to see how it's all playing out because, you know, to me, the most interesting thing is seeing, like, this six-game minor league schedule where mm-hmm. um, you're having six-game series during the season and you're not only playing the same team six times in a row, but you're getting the same umpiring crew during that time. Right. So um, you have tensions building up between the two teams and you have tensions building up between the umpires where – We've already seen Marty Peavy ejected, I think, three or four times. I was granted Marty Peavy is the all-time lead, franchise leader in ejection, so it's not really a shock. But we've already seen a couple of heated moments uh, um, between teams like Iowa and Omaha who are going to play each other like 30 more times still. So uh, my understanding is this is something we're not going to see moving forward this more of like a COVID-type year. Um return to baseball kind of thing but um the the six game series has has been really fascinating for those aspects and for the fact too that if if you're the guy pitching in the opening series you're going to see the same team twice you're going to pitch twice in that series against the same team so uh there's a developmental dynamic to to the whole thing too that makes it interesting and you know to me it's been really fun watching triple a baseball this year where there's been so much talk around big league baseball about the idea that um, 
pitching is just dominating baseball, and it is, but at the AAA level, you're not seeing it because I think, one, you just don't have the scouting reports against hitters that you do at the big league level, and two, um, you aren't seeing the shifting that's done at the big league level um, to the extremes at, at the minor league level, so it's kind of opening things up, too, and and there is a more small ball approach to it as well. Uh, Tommy, one uh, one of the guys I believe you saw briefly here, Tommy Nance, who's made his way up to the to the show. He looks really good in Chicago. Did you see him this year, or when was he here, Tommy? Yeah, he was here for a moment. He's got a really fascinating story where he was pitching indie ball at one point, and kind of the thought is he got into the Cubs pitching lab, tweaked some things, and and really took off. I mean, he has gone up there and just flat out dominated. Yeah. And it's funny, a couple of days before he got called up, I talked to the Iowa Cubs pitching coach, Ron Malone, who had pitched in the big leagues for nearly two decades. And he had joked with me that people people around the Cubs were probably going to have to get Botox from from raising their eyebrows <laughs> so much from watching Tommy, Tommy Nance pitch so, so well. And I don't think it's been a complete shock, but you look at his journey, and it's definitely been a surprise to see him really take off right now. So I uh, want to go this direction with you, Birchie. Uh, Sunday, July 11th through the 13th, that will be the MLB Amateur Draft. Brody Brecht saw him on Monday night pitch for Ankeny. We know he's a future Iowa Hawkeye wide receiver, unless there's something big that comes his way come that draft. I just wonder... A young man that has not dedicated himself to baseball throws in the mid nineties. Mm. Is six foot four, needs some mechanical work. But when you start with that kind of starting point, you got a heck of a prospect. What have you heard as it pertains to where he's going to be drafted? And is there a chance that he'd take the money and start minor league baseball as opposed to making his way to Iowa City? I say this with a preference. I haven't talked to Brody in a, a while outside of some some short conversations, but people in the scouting community that I've talked to that watched him, evaluated him, and spoken to him seem to think that, um, yes, he is a very talented player. He's very intriguing, definitely being a two-sport star, but their impression is um, the money is not going to be there to draft him and to sign him, mm-hmm. and that he he seems to be fully committed to the idea of living out his dream playing football and baseball for the University of Iowa, and as we know, when it comes to high school baseball prospects, unless you feel like you've got a good chance at signing um, signing a guy if they aren't going to draft him, that's why we see a lot of these guys like the Matt McCrees, the A.J. Pox, um, those guys, when they're in high school, they're certainly talented enough to go in the first five rounds of the draft but end up slipping and falling later because teams know they just don't have a realistic shot at signing up. And I think that might be the case when it comes to him. The most intriguing guy, and I know I mentioned him on the show before, is Ian Moore, the kid mm-hmm. um, uh, up in Dubuque, who has not played a single inning of high school baseball uh, for his high school team in Iowa. But that's a kid who originally was kind of pegged to be possibly a first-round draft pick, uh, maybe Lifting a little bit further to, to possibly the second round now, but that's a kid who definitely has really good signability, even though he's committed to, to play at LSU. So if, if Brecht did say, let, let it be known that, you know, he's 
he's willing to sign and mm-hmm. to begin his minor league career. What round would he be, Tommy? Have, have you talked to scouts that you know if the if it was, the circumstances were different, if he would uh, give up the opportunity to play football and baseball at the University of Iowa? What what kind of uh, round would he go in? Any idea? Yeah, kind of the impression I've gotten is maybe the fourth or fifth round. It obviously takes the right team, but some of the evaluators I've talked to have have really not put in that much time into really uh, dissecting him too much because they they just believe he is not that signable. Now, maybe that has changed, but um, he's definitely caught the attention of people where they're they're fascinated by like what Trent said. You know, he's a kid that throws hard. He's a kid that's Still in high school, he's got tremendously a amount of athleticism, and that's what really appealed to to scouts when it came to Carter Baumler of Down. He was a kid that threw hard and had a lot of athleticism, and the teams thought that okay, um, we can find him, we can develop him, and if you've got the athleticism, uh, man, there's going to be more to to that fastball down the road. And I think that's what they look at when it comes to uh, when it comes to Breck. So you mentioned Puck a little bit earlier. I saw his little brothers going to Florida International. You look around baseball. I did Johnston last night. They got a couple of D1 kids. Gabe Swanson's on his way to Nebraska. A couple of kids from the state going to Kentucky. And on and on and on. LSU for Moeller. Why is it? Baseball. We see D1 athletes in football and basketball and the other sports, but it feels like baseball has a different level. Why is that, Bertie? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe the idea that, hey, we've got perfect game centered here in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, mm-hmm. which provides a, a ton of coaching, a ton of exposure, and a ton of uh, um, opportunities. Um, you know, to me, the the craziest thing isn't even Iowa. It's kind of that Cedar Rapids area where you talk about Mitch Keller and A.J. Puck being in the, in the same draft class and same high school class I I believe maybe they were one year off from each other, but then you got a boatload of guys from that area too, not to mention Brian Sweeney as well. So Mm -hmm. the state of Iowa has done really well, but especially that Cedar Rapids area. Even now, you know, one of the names you had mentioned that um, is going to be intriguing, I think, when it comes to the draft is Tommy Speck, who I believe now, Trent, and you may have to correct me, but I I believe is committed to Kentucky and then. The, the other kid that I forgot to mention, too, is Jackson Lundworth from, from Waukee, who some of the scouts that I've talked to have said he has really picked up a lot of steam over the last couple of weeks and really improved his draft stock because of stuff like Perfect Game here in Iowa, the pre-draft showcase and stuff like that. Interesting. Uh, Alex Mills was here. Is he still here? And what's, uh, what, what's the prognosis for him getting back to the, uh, uh, to the big club? Yeah, he's still here. He's my understanding is he's going to get at least one more start, probably more than that. Where you know he was really roughed up in that first mm-hmm. outing, and probably the the biggest concern is that they couldn't really stretch him out. You know, he only went uh, pitched into the second inning, which you know, like you you really want him to go three four uh, innings in a rehab start. So until he can really go that way, I don't think we're gonna really be looking at the next step for him but it's it's crazy when you look at that Cubs roster and the injuries that are mounting up like you you could feel a pretty decent team uh just based off of all the guys that are on the injured list for the Chicago Cubs 
sustainability, we're talking about the offense earlier today, Tommy, and just how good the Chicago Cubs team has been. Do you think this is something that can last, or is it a good month? Good month, they're hitting the ball, but overall this is not a team that we're going to see towards the top of baseball with the sticks. Yeah, I don't think so. History kind of dictates, it kind of kind of tells us that's probably not. You know, we've, we've seen this over the last couple of years where the Cubs offense has spurts where they do really, really well. Um, but it doesn't last through the entire season outside of that, you know, World Series winning season. And even that season had some moments where they really struggled. So um, to me, kind of the turning point in the season has been now that Matt Duffy is hurt where he's the one guy in that lineup that's different from Brian Baez, uh, Rizzo. You know, he, he's going to put together some really good at-bats, put the ball in play is not going to be a home run hitter, just really um, adds a different dynamic to that lineup. And I've said this for a long time. When it comes um, to the Chicago Cubs, man, if you figure out one of those guys, you're going to figure out a big bulk of the lineup because, you know, Rizzo, you know, Contreras, Baez, you know, Bryant, they're all the same hitter. They have the same approach, you know, uh, and that's why, you know, you see that lineup when it's going well, it's going well for all of them. When it's going bad, it's going bad for all of them. And that's why I think by the time the trade deadline rolls around, well before that maybe too, you're probably going to see the Cubs be sellers. Mm. Uh, don't like to hear that, but wouldn't be surprised if that's what we hear. There's been some some of the guys that came over in the offseason with the big club. Uh, a guy Like you mentioned, Matt Duffy, a soul guard. Uh, Marisnik, who I believe is injured as well right now. Some of those guys that aren't breaking the bank that, you know, you want, who the hell is this guy? Where is he going to play? What are they doing signing him for? They're, they've made some big impacts, Tommy. It's not always those, you know, those big names that you just uh, uh, talked about. It, it's, it's an entire roster, and you need those kind of guys to contribute. And guys like Duffy and Sogard, Marisnik certainly have. Yeah, to me the most interesting thing when it comes to those signings is you look at them where they weren't major moves, but they were also, you know, low risk, possibly, uh, you know, high, high beneficial type moves. But also, it also says to me that the Cubs are still in this standstill place where they've kind of been riding the fence of, we're not going all in, but we aren't committed to, to totally blowing this thing up yet. They are reaching that point. The trade deadline is really going to force them to either say, hey, we're in full rebuild mode or we're committed to this. And I think all those signings, they're good signings, but they are to get you through this year, essentially, and not something that's really going to say, hey, we're all in. And um, that's where the problem kind of lies when it comes to the Chicago Cubs is you kind of have to pick a lane. And for the Minnesota Twins, Trenet and I can both – vouch for this, the Twins have been in that same boat where they they can't pick a lane. They don't want to go one way or another. And now um, they're in the situation that they're in now. Well, it'll be good for one of those two, quote, local teams. Max Scherzer, if the Natties continue to uh, to play non-playoff like baseball, apparently he's going to be on the block because he's going to be a free agent. Wouldn't that be something, the top of the Twins rotation or the Cubs find a way? And yeah. I don't think they do. I don't think that they and, are. And one team I would watch for when it comes to him and talking to, to a lot of uh, scouts I see around the park is it, it sounds like the Blue Jays are, are possibly, <laughs> Hello. Uh, a possible 
possible interest uh, for for Max Scherzer. So keep an eye on that one. Okay, <laughs> in huh? absolutely in. Uh, Tommy, great stuff. Great to talk to you, Tommy. As always, uh, we enjoy your work. We enjoy having you on. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Birchie. Thanks for having me. Yep, good to talk to you, Tommy Birch, Des Moines Register. Uh, good stuff out of Tommy Birch. Max Scherzer of the Blue Jays? You like that one over Heck there. I yeah, can tell. I like that one. That division's so tough, with the exception of the Orioles. I'd rather see him in a Cardinals uniform. Well, that makes sense, right? Yeah. It's a hometown team. That's the team he grew up rooting for. Cardinals are going to be there uh, throughout the summer months. Mm-hmm. They always are, seemingly. Better for business. It's good. Blue, Blue Jays don't exactly yeah, move the needle here. That's a good. That's a great point. That's that's a good point. But, but for selfishly, you, yeah. I'll take it. All right, what kind of home run have you got for us, Trent Condon? Oh, we got one queued up from last night. Here's Anderson at the plate, drives one. That one is back, way back, left center field. It's gone, a home run. Pierce Anderson, the sophomore, with the pop. It's 5 nothing, Johnston. All right, you heard it on KX. You know, who did the, who had the call? Uh, that was Trent Condon. Oh, that was Trent call. Condon had yes. that call. Good stuff. Uh, time to go to KXNO.com. This contest ends tomorrow, folks, just so you're aware. Let's get a winner. That'd be certainly nice. KXNO.com wants to put $1,000 in your pocket. Go there. Pop-up box will appear. Once you get there, enter the keyword Summer, summer at KXNO.com. Miller and Condon till noon. College football conversation next. 1460 KXNO and 106. Paid for by NHTSA. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Welcome back. Just past 11.30 on a Thursday. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 on the FM dial. As promised, we are going to get to college football, and here we are. We are still waiting on pins and needles for that announcement that we think is going to happen today that we will get kickoff times for the first three weeks of the season. Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com. Maybe Pete can help us out. Pete, Trenton, Ken in Des Moines, thank you for coming on. Had you heard that, Pete, that there would be a boatload of kickoff times announced today uh, by the four-letter network? Are you expecting to hear that today? I don't care. Okay. They're going to be on that Saturday. They'll, they'll be either at noon Central time, 11 Central time, or in the afternoon or the evening. It's just going to be college football. When they're on, I will be happy to watch whatever they have in front of my TV. I so, listen, we're with you. We just like killing segments at this time of year. And that would be... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I could not be more fired up to know whether or not who's playing early, who's playing late. We know how to, but to, to your point, though, it does matter... Especially depending on a school-by-school segment, where does the national world see your program? Right. And obviously, you know, the Big 12, if you're not Oklahoma or Texas, it's not necessarily easy to get one of those bigger uh, profile games. So uh, we'll see where the Iowa game uh, is going to be. We'll see what, you know, the the Big 12 will shape itself out and it'll go on the fly when it comes to game time. Uh, But certainly, at least for the early games, you know, obviously you want to see. You know, the Northern Iowa game is not going to get prime time slot, but 
Uh, you're, you know, to see where the ESPN and the rest of the world kind of sees the program. Something fun to get through the off season. So, what's the off season for you? Start times doesn't get you fired up. What does get you fired up, or is it just more than anything? Wait until the end of August before we actually get the games. Uh, I actually love this time here. We're doing all the team by team previews, mm-hmm. and this is where we do the deep dive in. You know, to uh, piggyback along with all the kids around my world who are dealing with finals and things like that. It's like one big giant book to learn about each and every team. And it's fun, you know, because it's kind of like spring training in baseball. Everything can be seen as positive. Everything is seen as kind of, you know, there's hope for something to turn around this year. There's hope to be a little bit better. You can look and see the good parts and, you know, which which new guys are going to step up and shine. And this year of all years, when this year the super senior, it's insane. Right. Like, it's never happened before and will never probably happen again where every team has, like, 21 starters back. <laughs> right. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, the one, the teams that don't have the 21 starters back are, like, Ohio State or Alabama. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, they're going to be good. So I, I, to be sunshine and unicorns and rainbows, I just kind of think this is going to be the best year ever because every team's got something that they can be really fired up about. That's an ex- excellent point. Uh, so, Pete, let's, um, I don't know, I'm guessing you haven't read all 2,500 pages of documents that Ohio State was forced to turn over uh, due to Freedom Information request yesterday, back to last year, and how close they came, along with Nebraska. And there were rumors out there that this was happening. Nebraska went on record, and actually, you know, they tried to schedule an opponent. Uh, Big Ten was having nothing to do with it. But um, have you seen any of the stuff from Ohio State and the fact that they were actually as close as anybody, not named Nebraska, to actually trying to go independent uh, last year for football? Independent for a moment, and that would have been about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ohio State's got a little more juice than Nebraska does because uh, the Big Ten will not want to get rid of Ohio State, and and Ohio State definitely doesn't want to leave Big Ten. Nebraska really doesn't want all this talk about Nebraska being, oh, well, we should just go back to the Big 12 and we should, you know, go to, no, you don't. You don't leave the cash machine and the prestige of being a part of the Big 10. It is the, the SEC is obviously the best football conference on sports wise, but everything else, the Big 10 is the biggest, baddest conference in all of college sports in terms of academic prestige, in terms of reach, in terms of alumni base, in terms of geographic reach. It's just you want to be a part of that. So for all the Nebraska bluster, they were never going to – they were going to push the envelope, but they were never going to do anything that was going to screw up that. Uh, Ohio State was probably a little bit closer because if push came to shove, the Big Ten might have just said, hey, okay, go play a couple games Ohio State. Uh, but when push came to shove, Big Ten just said, all right, Ohio State, we're just going to play football this year. Speaking of the Big Ten, Jim Harbaugh got a contract extension through 2025 back in January, but – just felt odd. There wasn't the the same parameters that we see with most coaches' contracts, especially at a program like Michigan. If they have a ho hum seven and five type of year, eight and four, is it over? And I know the natives have to be restless over there, but there's also feels like there's a segment we're Michigan, we're doing it right. Our kids aren't getting in trouble. We're fine. We got Jimmy doing our thing. What do you think of that program overall, and where where it sits with Jim Harbaugh? Remember, again, not to be boring, but business. this is a business. And while we all like to focus on, yeah, he can't beat Ohio State, yeah, he's not gotten to a Big Ten championship game, yeah, he's not won a national championship, it's easy to quickly forget that not all that long ago, 
if you brought an empty Coke can, you got into Michigan Stadium. <laughs> you know, that was they, – they, they were really struggling. And as we've seen, especially during the pandemic, when you don't have butts in the seats for football, everything else in the athletic department goes right down the tubes. So from a business standpoint, he has cranked that thing up. So he's made a lot of money for that place. <laughs> it's, for whatever reason, his big fatal flaws – He's never been able to find the quarterback. And if you want to know the one big giant difference between Michigan and Ohio State, look at the quarterbacks over at the Jim Harbaugh era compared to the quarterbacks Ohio State had. Uh, and plus, I have a hard time uh, dogging anybody for not being able to get by Ohio State, just like I have a hard time not blaming anybody in the SEC for not being better than Alabama. Ohio State's just at another level right now. That program is a monster. And I'm a Harbaugh apologist. I mean, again, you forget how mediocre they were. Now, last year was a problem. We can blow it all off because of 2020. But the thing about Harbaugh was before last year, he had one loss to a team that did not finish uh, a season with 10 wins or more, and that was to Iowa, uh, and then that one crazy last-second walk-off game of several years ago. But basically, when he lost, he lost to Ohio State and Alabama and to the biggest of the big boys. He didn't lose to the mediocre teams. And last year, they lost to the mediocre team. So to your long-winded way to get to your point, yeah, I think 7-5 and five kind of uh, pushes them out, but I uh, keep telling Michigan people, fine, who's your answer? Who's the guy who's going to do more and who's going to win you national championships there in Michigan? Find that guy. Hmm. Uh, we're talking with Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com. Pete, uh, normally uh, to the Big 12, we're talking, well, who might be that third team that challenges Oklahoma or Texas for supremacy in that conference? We're, we're seeing this is a different time in Ames. Uh, oh, win total nine and a half, and that month, and that, and the betters are taking the over with fistfuls of money. Um, this has never been seen before, and I know a lot of it has to do with those super seniors that you talked about. But might might this be? Iowa State, uh, you know, instead of we're trying to find that third team, we knock out Texas, and well, it's not Iowa State or Oklahoma this year. Do you see it that way, or are we too close to it? You're too close to it. It's uh, I love Iowa State, and I would it would be an awesome story if I love it when programs finally have some fun. I mean, the programs never won an outright conference championship, and I believe your two came in like what 1913 and 1917. Yeah. You know, so it's it would be I could be wrong, but like, it would be awesome. It would be an absolutely awesome story for Iowa State to, to rise up and be the Big Twelve power and knock off Oklahoma and, and be that sort of thing. And certainly the talents there, certainly the experiences there. You, I mean, that's the crazy part about Matt Campbell. This is. You know, you're, you know, maybe not the overall depth, but the, certainly the starting 22 can hang with just about anybody. And there's pro prospects there. Mm-hmm. So it is a very, very, very good team. Oklahoma's a whole lot better. Um, that team might be number one in the country because as we talked before about, you know, who's got the super seniors. Well, Oklahoma, if you notice, didn't exactly lose a ton to the NFL draft because everybody's coming back. Uh, so that team is going to be an absolute killer. Texas, I think, is going to be better. And look, remember, it only it took a, a late rally to get by the Longhorns last year. That's a better team coming back. And then the problem for Iowa State this year is look across the board. I mean, you got the Kansas free space. Texas Tech gets everybody, and they might have the number one pick in the draft in Tyler Shuck at quarterback. They've got, and that's a dangerous team. 
TCU is sneaky talented this year. Kansas State gets just about everybody back. So this isn't your, you know, old Big 12 that was just a whole bunch of, you know, regular mediocre games. You've got just about every team can look at their schedule and be and look at their team and be like, hey, we got 20-something starters coming back on the right day. We can do it. So that's where being in a Power 5 conference matters, where, you know, if you're Iowa State, okay, you, Iowa State could absolutely beat Oklahoma. But beat Oklahoma State and TCU and Iowa State and Iowa, by the way. So nine and a half, I'd actually kind of go under. Don't kill me, Iowa State fans, today. I'm rooting for you. With that, to the mid-majors. And last year, it kind of felt like in this goofy year, at least there was a couple-week stretch where it was the year of the mid-majors. Undefeated BYU before they ran into Coastal Carolina. Saw Louisiana, what they did to Iowa State early in the season. You had Cincinnati uh, playing really well for a long stretch in that game against Georgia. On and on and on. Who are the mid-majors you're looking at this season? And to crash the party in a four-team playoff, is it impossible? Probably. Um it is impossible unless you come up with something massive. And Cincinnati's got it. I mean, Cincinnati plays, uh, I believe, Notre Dame this year. You know, mm. Liberty's going to be a fun story because you talk about getting everybody back. They get everybody mm. back. I mean, that is that team that actually beat some power five teams last year is going to be dangerous all season long. Um, so it's going to be a lot more fun. But also, I kind of chalk up a lot of that to being 2020. And I always have kind of a, a mid a bias against the you know the, the the group of five conferences because could Cincinnati beat Notre Dame? Yeah, you know, could they have beaten Georgia last year? They were awfully close. But again, it's the Iowa State problem. If okay, if you've got the mediocre USF on the schedule, and you've got you know maybe Tulsa on the schedule. Okay, Tulsa's fine, but Tulsa in the bowl game last year lost to a bad Mississippi State. I mean. It's just not the same as having to run the gauntlet of a Power 5 schedule uh, each and every week. But certainly they can get close, but I will believe that the judges in that room in Grapevine, Texas, are going to put a Group of 5 program into the the college football playoff when I actually see it. Mm, Interesting. Uh, Pete, last thing uh, for you. Is there a – last year we had Alabama beat Notre Dame, right, and Clemson and Ohio State played – uh, are, are, is there going to be some new blood? If so, who's going to crash that party? Clemson loses their quarterback. Uh, we know that. So did Ohio State. So did Notre Dame. Um, what 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 happened? Oh, so did Alabama. Mac Jones is a Patriot. Who's the party crasher of that top four? We're we going to see more of the same. Uh, more of the same. I mean, it's Clemson's. If Oklahoma isn't the number one team in the country, it's Alabama. If Alabama isn't the number one team in the country, I think it's Clemson. It's not like they downgraded from Trevor Lawrence to D.G. Young and Lele. Uh, and the thing about Clemson last year that gets forgotten is their defense was awesome, and they were missing everybody. Now they get everybody back. Uh, that defense is going to be an absolute killer. They are not losing twice. So put just automatically put Clemson in the college football playoff. Got to assume the SEC champions in the college football playoff. Ohio State, if it gets by Oregon, really doesn't have that bad of a schedule. It's going to get in the college football playoff. And Oklahoma is better than it's been in a long time. Who else you got? Who else is out there? Mm. You know, maybe a Pac-12 champion if Oregon does beat Ohio State. That gets interesting. Texas A&M, talking about the one team that's not been there before, that could get there. They lose Kellen Mond. If they get their quarterback situation right, they've got everything in place to do that. And I believe they get Alabama at home. Their non-conference schedule isn't bad. At the very least, they're going to be right there in the mix of the SEC West Championship. Eventually, the, about the, the teams that aren't, haven't been there before, 
Eventually, Wisconsin. You know, that's the, the top program that's not – they've got the most wins in the college football playoff era without getting there. Eventually, they're going to get there, but I don't think this is their season. So, I don't see a whole bunch of new blood kicking it into this season. Uh, great stuff. I appreciate you coming on. We look forward to talking a whole bunch more throughout the season with you, Pete Futek. We'll read you collegefootballnews.com, collegefootballnews.com. Pete, thank you. I'm excited. I want to see the game times now. <laughs> Absolutely. We talked <laughs> right. you into it. <laughs> see you, Pete. Absolutely. Good to talk to you. Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com. Oklahoma's got a boatload of transfers from Tennessee. Uh-huh. I remember one of them, Gray the running back, and I know there's a DB that they really like as well. Is there new blood? Cincinnati. No. Not only do they have that Notre Dame game, they also mm-hmm. have Indiana, who mm-hmm. should be decent. Yep. Both would be road victories. Mm-hmm. And they'll still play Central Florida. That'll be yep. a name opponent. Yep. Somebody else will be good in the American. So you think this potentially could be the year. So who are you going to knock out? Well, I mean, I mean what conference? It's going to have to be crazy. That's uh-huh. You're going to have to have... Nine and three, Minnesota upset Ohio State. Well, because we've seen the, the Big Ten get left up before, right. and you're going to see Texas. Well, they're nine and three, but they upset Oklahoma. In the G- okay, you need goofiness yep, here to agree. get to that point. Mm-hmm. And the Pac-12 champion also has three lights. Yep. A lot of that will have to happen, and there isn't a second team from the SEC, and there isn't a second team from the ACC. <laughs> that's gonna lie. It, it is. Yeah, it is a lot. Uh-huh. But that's the only path for this to happen. Mm-hmm. And Cincinnati will be, at minimum, preseason top 15. Probably... Played a hell of a bowl game. Top 12, mm-hmm. I think, in the AP poll that'll come out. And it shouldn't matter, mm-hmm. but that will matter. And then you get to week three, and you go to Bloomington, and you beat Indiana. And then after a bye week, you go to Notre Dame. And if you win that one, all of a sudden that team is 4-0, and has wins against a Big Ten team, and Notre Dame, and they started at 12. They're probably, at that point, up to... Six, seven, well, right can, in that range. Let me ask you this. If they are in contention, can I talk you into watching my favorite television show on Tuesday night? No, they that thing want. sucks. You still don't want to watch it, huh? I got too many other things going All on. Right. I, can't, I can't sit there and watch guys that... It's a television show that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the least. All that matters is the last one. I'm entertained by it. I know you are. I'm entertained. And that's good for you. And And you watch it for both of us. That's true. Uh, We will come back. Uh, Trent's got some plays of the day. Yesterday, did you push? Another winning day. Two and one. The only loss is one that I was happy about as I had Vegas yesterday. Oh, you did over the wild. Yeah. Boy, game seven tomorrow. Got a feeling that might make the Claxons giveaway, which we will be doing about 24 hours from right now. We'll take our final time out of the program. Trent's plays of the day coming up next on 1460 KXNO and 102.50 for more details. Hi, Miller and Condon. Welcome back. Final couple of minutes of the program. It's 1460 KXNO and 106.3 on the FM dial. So something's been driving me crazy all day. You can't. I'm going to ask the audience. So when I f- we first uh, covered spring training, like in 96 or 97, probably 97, there was a kid from Dowling in the Brave system. All right. And I don't know if he ever made it to the show or not. Catcher, I want to say. Not Matt McCree. Not Matt McCree. Not Matt McCree, because he was never with the Braves, was he? No. I don't think so. He was so. a twin. No. He was. Yes, he was. Who would that be? I have no idea. I can't think of anybody. I can't think of names. That that was 
I was all about the North Iowa Conference back right. then. I, I didn't care about the CIML. It was 1990, I'm going to say 1997, 1998, yeah. and I don't think he, maybe he did. I don't remember. He seemed like a good kid. So hit you up on Twitter. Yeah, if you th- can think of it, just drive me bonkers. Anyways, we were talking about that minor league mm-hmm. stuff from earlier. Uh, plays of the day, Trent. Who do you like? I like one in baseball, one in hockey, and one in basketball. Mm-hmm. Starting... With one that I'm not going to touch until later. Okay. I like the Phoenix Suns, and they're getting seven right now without knowing Chris Paul. Right. If Chris Paul doesn't play, that number's going to shoot up. Yep. And I think I like it even more. Do you? I, I think they're going to play well. I it, Just this feeling that... Okay. And kind of the rally the troops that you see often, especially in NBA basketball. I like that one. Especially if no Paul, he's not going to play, and it's all of a sudden mm-hmm. up to eight and a half. Then I really like it. That's one. Okay. But going to play it regardless at the seven right, right now. Phoenix Suns, pick number one, pick two. I'm going against your Toronto Blue Jays in baseball. Against the rookie? Yes. Mm-hmm. That will be the first game of the okay. doubleheader. Three o'clock, first pitch there. Herman on the bump for the Yankees. Now, this is their number one prospect, it Manoa, is. Toronto's. And a short game, which. Seven innings, yeah, good point. Makes it a little funky here, but. Guy making his first start in Yankee Stadium against the Yankees. Yeah, really. I'm going to grab the Yankees and only have to lay minus 138. Really like that part of it too. I thought that number to be a little bigger. So you're t- and you're taking. I'm going to guess your NHL game. You, uh, like I hope Nashville wins. I want a game seven, mm-hmm. uh, but I think Carolina gets them. I think Carolina is the better side. Mm-hmm. Nashville's two victories both came in overtime. Mm-hmm. One of them they were dominated. They, they should yeah. not have been in that game. I think that's the one that I saw the most of. But I'm grabbing Nashville here, and I'm grabbing Nashville. You can get them on what do they call it? Regulation only. Yeah, they're plus two thirty to win in regulation. To win in regulation. Okay. That sixty minute line, I think, is what they call it in hockey. That's the direction I'm going. I really like that one. I like the price. Plus 230, Nashville and regulation, and we'll see how we do. We will grade your work tomorrow. Murph and Andy in an hour and five minutes. The Fanatics slide on in here. Uh, Barnstormer Weekly tonight. It is Thursday, right? Joe Stacy and company will be on the air at 6. The Morning Rush begins another day of local programming tomorrow. We are Miller and Condon. We're here from 10 to noon, Monday through Friday. Well, not next Monday. On Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.